0: All righty, starting welcome to Steve and and hanging out with the lovely Mary Goulet. Hello, Mary Goulet. So Hello. Richie Ote, what's up, baby? Hey, he all right, all right. And, hours, and uh, super three excited three to be joined in studio today to by the man himself. Oh. Ug. <laughs> <who are visited laughs> <from laughs> the Ugg Man. Let's get a little closer to that mic there, Brian. So we've got Brian Smith in the house today. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Really, really excited to have you here. All right, so you talk about creating, I mean, you talk about starting Scaling and exiting. I mean, you certainly personify that. It's, been uh, been there and done that. Been yes. there and done that. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, and so you. So let me just make sure that folks are clear on this. So you are the originator, the guy who started the UGG brand in right. terms of boots. You guys are familiar. You're all familiar with the sheepskin.
1: I've got it's a like, pair. Oh, don't you, even get me into it. This is one of I'm brand junkie it's you have, have a 1992 super ugg still in great of, shape that's
0: fantastic what is the, a in, super i don't even know what uh, that is exactly wow
1: is that a car and you're talking about someone in sunny san diego we only got to wear ours like I mean, I'm wearing flip flops when most people are right. wearing shoes, and I'd wear it ten days a year. But those were the best ten days. All right, ever.
0: fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so, so UGG obviously has become just this this massive brand. Now, you exited out about how long? Long time ago already, yeah, right? Yeah, it
2: was the uh, late '90s. Yeah,
0: late '90s. So, yeah. how? So, let me just make sure I'm, I'm clear on this. Now, were you from Australia, and you were living there, and you were thinking? Are there things that I can bring to America that America doesn't have, or did you come and you visited America it and you were was, like, "Oh man, there's nothing like it, this here"? It was exactly the opposite. Okay, I
2: had just graduated after ten years of studying to be an accountant, and, mm. and I graduated as a what, what here is a CPA. Yeah, and uh, I quit the same day.
0: You quit the yeah, same. I, so you I, graduated I, and you quit. I, I didn't <laughs>
2: want to give up without. You know, graduating, but I hated it the whole time. Mm-hmm. And in something inside me wanted to be entrepreneurial. And so, after a lot of meditating uh, on this back in Australia, I, I figured that one day oh, my God, you know, all the big trends are coming out of California. Mm -hmm. So I decided I was going to come to California and find the next big trend Mm -hmm. and get the jump on everybody in Australia and bring it back. Oh, so you were going
0: to – okay, so you came here to find the trend and then you were going to bring it back to Australia. Yeah,
2: because, you know, Levi jeans and waterbeds and all the surf brands and all Mm -hmm. that, they were all coming out of California. Sure. So so it seemed a natural thing to do.
0: So you came here, though, and what happened? Because you didn't actually find a trend – that you wanted to bring back?
2: No, I, was, I was, you know, the, the first thing I did was start surfing Malibu because I, I arrived with a surfboard and a suitcase. Right? All right. Uh, Malibu had always been one of my dream, you know, locations to surf. So I, I rented a house in Santa Monica, and just went to Malibu for the first couple of months and mm-hmm. made a ton of friends up there. But didn't find the next big thing until it was about late October, and you know, and and, and I. The water had got cold and the wind was cold and I was pulling on my sheepskin boots that I'd brought from Australia
0: mm-hmm. and I was sitting on the beach going, shit, nobody,
2: yeah. nobody in America has sheepskin boots.
0: So you actually, you were coming and, to California and even though it was yeah. going to be hot, you still brought the sheepskin boots. That's, yeah, for, yeah. But
2: they, they were just, you know, for an Australian, it's just a part of your, your wardrobe, mm. you know, you don't, you don't wear them out a lot, but you you always wear them, mm-hmm. but, but especially after surfing when it's cold. Yeah. And, 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 you know, that, I just got covered in goosebumps. I couldn't believe that, you know, one in two Australians had some sort of sheepskin footwear. Wow. And there was nothing in America. So wow. that was that was like the aha moment that that began the the whole journey of brand building.
0: Mm-hmm. So, wow, Richie cool. I know you're jumping well, out of your chair. Go ahead. so
1: many things because to your point right there when you said you didn't wear them out much but yeah. you still wore them a lot, that was kind of, you know, when we grew up, there was we had this w- weird loyalty to your product yeah, i mean it, an unbelievably strange loyalty like we knew it didn't fashionably match with what everything else we were wearing because, but we didn't give a shit which exactly. made it fashionable
2: and yeah at that look point. At, look at this i've got goosebumps yeah. you know that's my spirit telling me that that you know you've just uncovered one of the critical elements of what this brand was all about which I is mean, just so, everybody has an Ugg boot story. I mean every single oh. person I meet tell you've already done it already. You've mm-hmm. told me about your first pair oh. of Ugg boots, right? And and that was within 30 seconds of us meeting. Hmm. Tell me another brand you have in your house that that you talk about like that. Yeah, It's absolutely unique. So, it's, and
0: it's amazing. Let's, and what I want to try to understand here though is there's a reason why I wasn't here, right? I mean, let's be honest. It, there there was a whole bunch of education that had to go into the, that process right yeah. so so it's like it's one thing if you if you see an opportunity and then you you improve upon what already exists right right but in this case you were coming into a market where not only did people potentially you know not realize they needed these or wanted these etc but you had to completely educate them that, yeah. on, on this whole idea of, of, of sheepskin a- a- Ameri- to begin with. Americans literally did not want to wear these boots.
2: I'm sure. And and it was, I, mean, I remember I had a buddy who did the first road trip and he came back with about 150 business cards of every single shoe retailer and not a single order. And he said, Brian, they tell me we're crazy trying to sell sheepskin in California. Yeah, But I, as logical as that, like I understood what they were saying but it was wrong because Australia's climate is identical to California and so there had to be another reason and the reason was, you know, um, Americans just don't get sheepskin like Australia. You know, in mm-hmm. Australia, you're born with sheepskin knowledge. It's rugged. You can't rip a sheepskin. It's like impossible. Mm. Um, you can get them wet, um, and, and it, they'll dry and they, they wick moisture. Mm. When they're wet, they still insulate. So you can be, have wet feet in the snow. Your feet will still be warm. I mean, all of these, you know, things about Americans got oh, it's, it's hot, it's prickly. We have mud and slush, you know, we can't get them wet. You know, yeah. It's like all of these misperceptions about the sheepskin product and that turned out to be the hardest part I'm of, sure of building the business. Cuz it but doesn't
0: look waterproof. It looks like it's an absorbent material.
2: It sort of is, yeah, yeah. But the you know, in my book that I've written, uh I have all these themes that I learned from from all of these episodes and and one was that you know, f- to be a good entrepreneur, you have to have a certain level of ignorance when mm-hmm. you start cuz if you knew all these obstacles, oh yeah, you wouldn't go for it. If I'd have known that Americans didn't get sheepskin, I never would have done this.
0: Well, take us back though. So the guy goes, he he comes out here. You found a buddy, and and by the way, did you pay him? Like, how did you work it out from the beginning? You were partners. We were going to be partners. You were going to be partners. So you send him out. He comes back with 150 cars. Nobody wants it. Brian Smith is sitting there. He goes, wait a minute. This is still a good idea. What did you do? Did you fire that guy and you came out and did it yourself? No, no,
2: no. He's still one of my best friends. He's still one of your best friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, We're still doing deals together. All right. Um, No, it it, it was a case of, you know, every good entrepreneur has to learn to pivot. You know, when you hit the wall, you got a choice you give up or you figure out a way around or over or under or whatever. Mm -hmm. So the pivot was well, how come all my friends up at Malibu think this is the best idea in the world? Because they had cold feet. They all, <laughs> most of them had been down to Australia and had come back with four or five pairs of boots for their buddies. Okay, you know, so the surfing community. Surf trip. So within the surf community, it was really well known. Mm-hmm. So we switched gears and we said, okay, let's go after the surf shops. Mm. And so we hit the road and you know, this time I went on the road, I was terrified of sales, you know, being an accountant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and you know, I remember I walked in the first door at Con Surfboards in Santa Monica and and you know, I, I sheepishly opened the bag. You know, that wasn't a joke, but it was, I, yeah, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I opened the Little bag, pun there. and uh, and the guy just instantly saw the boots and he goes, Oh my god, you know, sheepskin boots, they're, they're fantastic. I've got a pair, you know, what are you doing with them? I said, Well, we're thinking of importing them into America. And he goes, Oh man, that's so fantastic, you're gonna make a fortune, mm. those are the best things in the world, you know. so – You know, I got all pumped up. You know, this sales isn't so bad, you know. So I went on to the next store and it was the same reaction. Oh, Mm -hmm. they're great. Yeah, a friend of mine's got them. did you take an order on the
0: spot? I mean, do you have your purchase orders? You were just trying to test the market. We
2: did this whole trip for a week. Doug was doing the San Fernando Valley and I was up and down the coast from like San Diego to Malibu. Mm -hmm. You
1: took the better route.
2: Yes, you did. (laughs) And we got back after a week and and it never crossed our minds to ask for an order. We didn't even have any inventory, Mm -hmm. right? So what's the point? We were so busy
0: being instant millionaires. We didn't give a shit. So know? who was? So wait, did you have savings? I mean, were you guys just living off of savings? Did you fund this yourselves? Like how? how we,
2: well, we had to sort of borrow a part of five hundred dollars to send down to Australia to get samples. Mm-hmm. So no, it was totally underfunded.
0: <laughs> so so that first order. So you, you started getting people to say, "I'm interested in these boots." You had to borrow money to well, manufacture the we'll first be fair, order. Let,
2: let's go back and and. Uh, yeah, you know, we arrived back you know, with zero orders, which we we knew we didn't ask for any anyway. Okay, but we we were we were sure we were going to be instant millionaires because every single one of the stores said they were fantastic. Mm-hmm. So, so that's when we realised we needed money, and you've all heard that saying that you know once you start out on a path, the universe conspires to work with you. You know that's it's, yeah, it's, it's nice. A very ancient saying. It's been around for thousands of years. So. My roommate, Just the lie we keep telling
0: for thousands yeah. and thousands
2: of years. <laughs> my roommate overheard us talking and uh, says, "Oh, there's some guys at my office looking for investments." So, hmm. without even writing a business plan, we got twenty grand. You know, which in today's that's like five million today. No, it's it's about seventy five grand today, <laughs> yeah. right? But so it's yeah. a lot of money, right? And we sent fifteen thousand down to Australia to the factory and ordered five hundred pairs. Wow! And
0: uh, wow. They arrived about. So it was costing you about 30 bucks a pair to have these made. Yeah, that's right. And what were the margins then at that point? We were
2: selling them for about 60. Okay, so. 58 to 65, depending on the style.
0: And that's on wholesale. And what were they retailing for? So they were at
2: that point? Oh, no, no. Yeah, we were selling them for for like 45 or 50. And then they were retailing them up to the 60, 70, 80, like that. So you guys had about 50. It was was really tight. There was hardly any margin. Yeah. I hadn't learned about margins then. I mean. Hmm. Even though I was an accountant, I really right. didn't get it. So it's know. about a
0: fifty percent gross margin then yeah. from you to the wholesaler, and the wholesaler yeah. being the store, yeah. we turn around and sell it at retail, and they would make about another yeah. thirty five to, to yeah. 40%. So everyone
2: wasn't making as much as they wanted, yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, we we now had all this inventory. So Doug you know, filled up his car, I filled up my van, and you know headed back to Con Surfboards, and I walked in. Now I got a huge bag full of product and an order pad, right? And so I say, okay, Bill, how many do you want? And he goes, oh, Brian, well done, man. But we couldn't sell them in this store. We just sell surfboards and trunks and sandals. <laughs> Love know. the
0: idea, but I'm not going to bring yeah. in the, the inventory uh, for you.
2: Uh, oh, shit. You know? yeah. And went on to the next store and the next store. And every single one
0: of those, you know, like 50, 60 stores said exactly the same thing. Wow. And so All the same people who were so enthusiastic about yep. it in terms of concept yep. wouldn't write a check. Yep. So wow. we,
2: we got back to my house in Santa Monica after a week and Doug and I looked at each other and said, okay, let's tally up the sales. And our total sales for the first year was 28 pairs. Ooh. Wow. you to had to educate the heifer to be exactly
0: $1,000 dollars. We, we hadn't started educating anybody yet. We didn't, hadn't figured that out yet. So, so wow. let's – yeah, let's play that through. So yeah, I mean, pairs. So you got this investment. you got the 20 grand, 75 yep. grand in today's money, whatever. Yeah. So you've got that, you ordered 15 grand. So you and your buddy are living off of this five grand? Are you guys waiting tables? Are, oh, you, yeah, Are we, you we, pumping we, gas? We, what else are you we, doing? We,
2: we, I had summer jobs, a regular jobs for four years. Mm-hmm. Before this thing, fly, you know,
0: and you're in your early twenties. Like no, you're late, 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 yeah, late twenties. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I didn't come till I was 29. So, so if you're an entrepreneur out there, think you've missed the boat. You haven't even come close yet. So, right. So, uh, so anyway, we we, uh, you know, that that was a huge disappointment, obviously, but sure. Looking back, it's what I based my book on was the fact that you can't give birth to adults. You know, I've started so many businesses, they're all identical. You have to conceive the idea first and then you have to take the first action for the birth. So the birth of UG was buying that six pairs of samples and then every business just goes into this horrible infancy and it just lies there. And it lies there and it lies there and all you can do is feed it and change diapers, you know, every Mm -hmm. now and then you'll get a giggle or something but pretty much you just, it's all work, right? Yeah. But if you can last through that period and most entrepreneurs that give up, give up during that period. they They think their idea isn't worthwhile, which is so sad. But if you can muster through that period, infancy period you'll hit the toddling stage which is cool because first you know true believers are buying your product and yeah people are writing magazine articles about you you know and it's sort of a really cool thing and that's the, the when the trend starts to work
0: and that pretty much leads into the youth which is a great phase um, yeah, well, let's the, let's talk specifically, if you don't mind, okay. about so as you as you go back then to sort of those embryonic right, days. Right. What what as you look back on that what what do you think is that that single most important strategy that really helps you leap from idea to enterprise? Okay. The in my case,
2: I knew how popular these were in Australia. Yeah. And I knew how big uh, American market is and I knew Americans aren't that different from Australians. So it had to be something I hadn't figured out yet, mm-hmm. right, which si- simply was the education. And <clears throat> I can remember the time it first changed for me. I was at a trade show in Las Vegas, the ski show. And we'd been five days, didn't have a single order because, mm-hmm. you know, again, all this Ski shop owners are going, we have mud and slush, they'll never work, right? And finally it was on the last day of the show this woman came by and uh, she was giving me the whole mud and slush thing and I said, look, just stop talking, take your shoes off, put this on, Mm -hmm. right? And she put them on, uh, one boot on, and she just went, oh, my God. Oh, my God, I could sell these as after ski boots, you know? After ski and, boots, and like, yeah. I'd been there like <laughs> well. for five days, telling them these are after ski boots, but until she put them on, she didn't get it. Mm. And she ordered sixty pairs. right wow. that, that was the biggest order we'd ever had—sixty pairs in for one one buy. Sure. And then the light went on for me, and I just realized. You know, I talked to you know the few sales reps we had at the time. I said, from now on, you never. Try and sell these without the person taking the shoe off and putting them on their feet first. Yeah, and that was the biggest breakthrough for UGG in 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 you know the, the 20 years that I owned it. That was probably the biggest thing that happened was mm-hmm. figuring out you have to put them on your feet before you you talk.
1: How did you get the name?
2: N- in Australia... Because all those sales that didn't go through, you'd go, ugh. Yeah, really. There's a bunch of stories. There's a few old guys in Australia claim they invented the word, but nobody knows. Mm. Um, it, it's It's been descriptive of sheepskin footwear and slippers for, you know... Millennia. Sixty seventy years yeah. down in Australia, and, and nobody really knows the origin of it. And they down there they spell it all different ways. Mm-hmm. But when when I came here, I registered the trademark UGG because I was the first one to bring them into America and, and stay consistently in business. And so that you know, that's where you get your trademark rights from. Mm-hmm. Is, is that so? So you know the whole business, even though the product was boots, the brand was a was a whole other animal.
0: Yeah. So what, what I'm trying to understand then is we we made this leap and and I just want to I want to close the gap on the leap there. So okay. did, was, was it a key hire? Did you did you hire someone to lead the sales team? Like again, it's just you and your buddy. So D- Doug, after the
2: after that 28 pairs, he went and got another job. This obviously wasn't going to pay the bills. Yeah, I should have given up, but. I had 480 pairs in the warehouse, you know, yeah. in the third bedroom <laughs> and all the investors' money tied up. So I couldn't morally walk out on them. So yeah. so I started doing, and th- this is answering your question, right? I started doing swap meets and, and street fairs and but the biggest retail location I had was my, the back of my van at Malibu, mm-hmm. right? Nice. After I was surfing, I'd, I'd open up the van and I'd be open for business and it got so busy that that even if the surf was crappy, I still had to show up because mm-hmm. all the... People, word of mouth was, oh, that guy up at Malibu—that's where you buy you them. Those right? yeah. And so, the the next season, I like, I got a summer job. I think I was scraping boats at Marina del del Rey mm-hmm. for the summer. Then, then I started again. Um, I started advertising, you know, with using, you know, models who were the kids of friends. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> sales went to like ten thousand dollars, right next year summer job again and that one was construction in bel-air right working for a construction company the next season i ran these ads i got these models and posed them on the beach at wind and sea with the perfect hair and clothes and the boots up front in the in the ad and And the sales went to, like, 25000 and I couldn't figure out what I was doing wrong, you know? But until
1: you put those girls in the boots. (laughs) Yeah. So so then
2: the next job was greenskeeper at Singing Hills Golf Course, Mm -hmm. right, in El Cajon. And that year I decided I'm definitely giving up. You know, I'm
0: going to get out of this business. I mean, this is year five after the initial order. You you still haven't gone through the 500 pairs? No, no.
2: I still had the, the original. 500. Well, no, I had, you
0: know, I, I started to
2: supplement sizes that were running out. Okay. But it was still the original stuff, and I was talking to a buddy of mine um, who owns South Coast Surf Shop in Ocean Beach, mm-hmm. and, and I'm explaining that you know, I'm doing this advertising, uh, and he just says, "Shut up, Brian!" And he, he calls out to the back, and all these little 12, 13 year old grommets come out, and he says, "You guys, what, what do you think of UGG?" And every one of them just went. Oh, man, those Ugg boots, they're so fake. Have you seen those ads, those models? They can't surf. Mm. And instantly oh. I realized I'm sending the wrong image to my target market mm. and it was horror. I mean, Horrifying, I didn't understand yeah. it until then but instantly I saw how bad the ads were. And and uh, so I called up a buddy of mine, Pete Townend, who was a former world surf champion and he was running this Scholastic Surf Association in Orange County and I said... You know, Pete, you got any young kids who are gonna turn pro soon. And he gave me two guys, Mike Parsons and Ted Robinson. So instead of all the expensive photographers, I we just went to Black's Beach mm-hmm. and uh Trestles, you know, these these are classic walks. They're a mile long to get mm-hmm. the fantastic surf at the end. And I just figured that all the little kids who are reading Surfer magazine would, would like die to be on these these walks, especially with Mike Parsons. Yeah. So I just used my own camera and the ads, funnily enough, that were long distance of these guys, right? So the Ugg boots were like, uh, you know, tiny one, just absolutely minuscule. You could hardly see them in the ads. But when I ran the ads that that fall, the sales went to two hundred and twenty thousand dollars. Wow! Just because I nailed the image. It was right that, under
1: your nose. Uh, Isn't that funny? How it, you can't
2: it, see it? It, it was, so, and that that was the beginning of my love affair for. You know, advertising and marketing, and it became mm-hmm. a passion of mine. And that—that's really the reason the UGG brand became a billion-dollar brand. Eventually, mm-hmm. was was because I figured out, you
0: know, what motivates the the the, the, the readers of the ads. Yeah. You know? So I just want—I want to jump into. I just can't gloss over that. Sure. So you're struggling to sell the first pair, two hundred twenty thousand dollars, right? There, there yeah. has to be something there. Did you? Did you, who was the first official hire?
2: Uh, another sales guy. A sales, sure. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, because I was finding I was spending too much time worrying about trade shows and follow customer service and all of that sort of was stuff. Was he a commission guy, or did you? Yeah. Came as, okay. No, no well, he he actually came on as a salaried guy. Oh, he um, did. Yeah, yeah. He was the first guy I hired, and uh, that started to scale after that. But again, it wasn't. Just because the surf market took off, it still was, you know, unheard of. I couldn't get an appointment. It took me seven years to get an appointment at Nordstrom. Wow. They said, we don't sell those, we sell shoes. Yeah. Right? So they were strange items, these Ugg boots. Yeah. And a, a big sort of light bulb went off for me when after about five or six years, I've been trying to get into the mall stores. And I was in Chicago at the, the buying office of Montgomery Ward, which was a big mm-hmm. retailer at the time in the malls. They had a huge shoe department. Mm-hmm. And I gave him a best sales pitch ever and the guy, the guy looks at me and he crossed his arms he goes, Brian, why are you here? Mm. And I said, I'm trying to get an order for the California stores. And he says, don't you get it? Where are the elephants? we don't move till the mice are running around under our feet. Mm. And I instantly knew what he meant. It was like until all the specialty stores were were just Mm -hmm. busting out, Mm -hmm. the malls were not going to take a chance. Mm -hmm. And so it was a really interesting, you know, situation of how we eventually got into the malls, you know. Mm. But, you know, in in the interim years, you know, we discovered how surfing works, so I translated that to snowboarding because mm-hmm. that yeah. had just started. So I got these young, cool snowboarders. Bam! Really, took that market took off. And then a year or two later, I'm you know I'm now getting nationwide, and I'm thinking, well, nobody in Minnesota reads Surfer magazine. For sure, there's no real mountains. So,
1: so are you about a million right now? After you, yeah,
2: about one and a half, yeah, two million at this stage. And so, I was traveling with a rep. Back in Chicago, Minnesota, all those areas. And, and I kept asking all the buyers, well, you know, what do the kids do around here for, 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 for winter sport? You know, yeah. and it turns out they all played hockey, ice hockey. Oh, yeah. And then I realized, oh, God, their moms have to drop them off. The moms sit in the rinks, it's 40 degrees. Mm. You know, the kids have to change shoes when they get there. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is perfect. So, we started advertising to the young hockey players. You know, I found a magazine called Let's Play Hockey, which nobody in California <laughs> would even assume For existed, sure. right? For sure. But but there was there's always a niche. There's always some way to get to a niche as an association or a publication. There's, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter what it, what industry it is. So I, I started getting really big in that. Yeah. And uh so that got the sales up to, you know, Probably four or five million. Just, just the just, just, just the surfing just those, community, those just matches. the hockey community, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. and, and so, snowboarding and snowboarding, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And so, at what point? Where, what were you doing in sales when you exited? Just on we we just done about
2: fifteen million. Just about fifteen. It was, it was looking like a twenty to twenty-five million dollar season
0: coming up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So why why did you exit? I mean, you 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 were scaling. You seem to have the systems in place fairly well at that point. You seem to have it dialed in. There's
2: a lot of answers to that question.
0: Um,
2: and I talk about this in my book Yeah, because I had to really bare my soul to sort of figure out why that happened. Yeah, But the, the answers were, were several. The, number one, we'd never been able to finance the business from a banking Standpoint, because mm. even when we're doing ten million, you know, oh, it's a fad; it won't be around next year, mm-hmm. right? Wow, you know, yeah, ten years. You know, that we're doing six, seven million in sales, and you know, you know and the investment bankers it's not sustainable. Yeah, we the, can't. Yeah, yeah. The investment bankers they saw. Nothing happening from March, April, May, June, July, August, and then bam, it peaks mm-hmm. in September, October, November, and then there's nothing. You know, so that was just scared the heck out of the investment bankers. Probably
1: because they they're used to seeing so many SKUs too. Yeah,
2: yeah, it was a yeah. The, the inventory cost was high. It was it had all, it had all the worst elements of a, a business if you could mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I go through all those in my book as well. Yeah. and uh, if you could pick all the bad elements of any business, I had them all. Mm-hmm. and uh except the one
0: saving grace was the product was so good,
2: yeah it overpowered all of those other objections
0: so did you have, you had so, one manufacturer that was doing all of this for start, you started
2: with one yeah you Started and, and then you expanded outwards to,
0: eventually there there's a whole story we can
2: get into there, but
0: uh yeah i I mean, obviously, you start to scale, you start to lose the ability. And I'm sure, uh, well, pricing goes down as you begin to scale. Uh, hopefully, right, pricing ends up dropping Ooh, and you start getting to some better margins. Did that yeah. not happen
2: for you? Well, that's another one of the worst elements is that because we're a natural product, we were at the you know, the whim of the weather mm. and we were at the whim of is, is wool taking off in the New York and Paris fashion shows this this year because mm-hmm. the sheep population would increase or decrease depending on the need for wool, mm. uh, so there are so many factors that there but getting back to answering your question i i uh, we were looking at um, a, a twenty million dollar season because i I brought on new colors and styles the so we had forty or fifty sales reps now all over the country, and we would give them all the new product in December. So they would be out on the road January, February, getting ready for the trade shows in March, and already the pre-orders coming in looked like it was going to be a 20 million plus season. Mm-hmm. I had no, I, I'd scraped through the financing the previous year. I knew I had no chance of getting a, you know, the fine the money. You're talking about in terms of being able to fulfill the orders. <coughs> fulfill the orders, yeah. yeah. And we were in January, um, and I was. Well, let me backtrack. Remember I told you I was on the parking lot at Malabar, Mm-hmm. Still not at out of the back of the van? Well, three or four spaces up with this other guy with his van, and he was selling these uh, neoprene sandals, the thongs, you know, triple deckers. They were pink and yellow and pink mm-hmm. neoprene, mm-hmm. about you know three inches high with just like flip-flops, right? Mm-hmm. And he called them triple deckers, mm. and he shortened that to his company. Name was Decker's Company. And he... Had gone uh, for years just licensing products like you know Lightning Bolt and you know all these different surf brands and but he finally hit this uh, sandal called Teva, Teva sandals, sure, you know. Sure, sure. And he took his company public okay. when the outdoor market took off. He took off with it, mm. got his sales up to sixty, seventy million, and and uh, he went public on that. So let's fast forward, mm-hmm. right? So now we're here. I'm looking at. Sales the 20 million. I'm knowing I can't finance it. And I knew Doug had like 25, 30 million bucks in the bank. And, and I'm at the baggage claim in Atlanta airport. We were going to the super show. And there's Doug way up the other end. And I just got these goosebumps again. You know, I go, mm-hmm. oh my God, it's perfect. You know, mm-hmm. we die every every summer. He dies every winter. Yeah,
0: that was a good marriage. And I thought, mm-hmm. you know,
2: and, and we'd joked with each other because we saw ourselves on the road all the time. Mm -hmm. We were always in in different shops together and we joke, you know, hey, you should buy me out. You should be, you know, oh, you can't afford it, Mm -hmm, (laughs) you know, banter. Well, this time I walked out to him and, you know, we just high-fived and I said, Doug, if ever we're going to do it, now is the time. Mm. And so that afternoon the accountants were talking to each other and, you know, six months later, you know, October, November, the sale finally happened and so we, we sold out for cash yeah, and it was so. It was like me going public without having to go public. It was the brilliant deal for me at the time. And there's an, another reason you didn't get any
0: shares of the public company. You just did
2: cash. I, I did a, I you know, had a bunch of options to start, but but there's a whole other sort, story there. Sure. Um, the other thing that that I was being you know beginning to realize is that I am really good at starting companies, and I love the chaos. I love the risk. I love the. Mm. uncertainty I mean that, that's I thrive in that environment and I was getting in the last couple of year, you know seasons of Argyle you know, everything was committee meetings and mm-hmm. you know I'd want to bring on raspberry for instance for the new color right so we'd get into a committee meeting and it would come out gray because mm-hmm. it's the least offensive for everybody mm-hmm. and you know when I got into that environment and, and all the decision making was done by committees and it was like it's like pulling hair out for me, so yeah. I was ready to get out. I, 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 and I don't believe I had the skill set to take it into the billions. Which, you know, when I handed it's it a off, whole other story. You know, I handed it off to to Deckers, and and it sort of f- folded around for a season or two until they got this really good brand manager in, mm-hmm. who, who she she eventually became the president of VAG, and she came from the New York fashion shoe industry, so she knew the workings of how. You know, shoe distribution works on a bigger level. Yeah. And she was the perfect person to take it out. So I I always look at it, you know, in in my theme of can't give birth to adults, you know, it becomes teenager and then mature. I I look at that sale as when I walked my daughter down the aisle and handed her off to a new husband, Mm -hmm. right? And then they blossomed after that.
1: To that point, and it's perfect timing that you brought that up. You were saying in toddler, they're moving up to teenager. You, you have different systems and processes of handling those children at that time yeah. too. So what is, what is one of the systems or processes that you, that worked for you to get to a million that you had to break to get to 10?
2: The, the most obvious one for me is the investors, right? That first 20 grand we raised, I thought we would never need any money mm-hmm. ever again. Wow. Mm-hmm. Right? It was so much money.
0: How, uh, by the way, how did you did you end up paying him back? Did you end up staying yeah, in? No,
2: I had I had to. We, we started to grow, and so um, we got the new investors who were interested. Uh, and again, it was always you know a random group of investors. Sure. And they didn't want the old partners in, so I had to do a deal to pay them out mm-hmm. out of my share, mm-hmm. and then I could bring in the next big investor. Gotcha. And then, you know, and they would say that oh, the trademark's worth nothing without our money, right? Mm-hmm. So now we run a year or two on and we've used, you know, we've outgrown their ability because we were like doubling every year mm-hmm. and we outgrew their ability and, and they said, well, we're not selling, you know, we're not giving you the trademark unless we get paid out. So I'd yeah. have to have to do another deal and pay them out and... Uh, and then the next guy coming in is going with the trade works, but worth nothing without our money, you know. So yeah. I was so a, I, a I was the meat in the sandwich every single transaction. Mm-hmm. But the bottom to answer your question is that um, I had to um, keep growing that way, and and I started to use the term of like, and this didn't just work with investors, but but staff as well. And I I, I created created the term scaffolding. Mm -hmm. employees or scaffolding investors, which is you need them to get to a certain level. But once you're at that level, you don't need the scaffolding. The scaffolding is actually an impediment, Mm -hmm. right? So it had to be, and it was very hard to delicately do right by everybody as best I could. Yeah. But I still wanted to, you know, my passion was for this company to grow. I, I, yeah. I mean, I was in love with the brand. So,
0: to, so to Rich's point, what, what did you then have to change? I mean, so we get the different investors, then in, we got to pull the one level out, we got to pull the next level in. So, to Richie's point, what to go to from that one to ten? What, you know, what did you have to break? What, what changed? To was it a scale? different kind of investor? Yeah. Was it, to scale from the, seven, eight. They figures. were more vested the, in it.
2: The, they, they were as they got, you know, from twenty thousand to a hundred thousand to. You know, two containers of boots, which is like three hundred thousand. they all had their abilities at that level to invest, and they didn't have the sophistication to go further on. And and I have to, you know, if I can look and you know back in a in a reverse crystal ball and and look backwards uh, and say, what did I do wrong? I I didn't do anything wrong because it's now a you know almost a two billion dollar company, right? Mm-hmm. But what I really could have used to make it sweeter was some sort of financial knowledge. Here I was, a a graduated chartered accountant. I did not know anything about money or finance. Yeah,
0: well, it's It's a different
2: level of finance. It's a completely different game.
1: But kind of to your point in the beginning, when you first started talking, if you would have known those things, you might not have done it.
2: If I had known the cost of inventory... The seasonality, these are all the bad points I figured out on the golf course that year, right? <laughs> seasonality, um, the fact that to have one pair of size 7s, if a customer came in as a 7, you had to have from 4 to 13 in the store just in case, right? Mm-hmm. So there was that, the The seasonality was horrible, the, the, the fact that... Um, we were a, a sort of an incidental item to most retailers. Like, if if it was a bad season for a ski shop, they, do we need Rossignol skis next year? Yep, pay that bill. Mm-hmm. Do we need, you know, headgear? Yes, we need that. Do we need Uggs next year? first screw that. Don't pay that bill. So mm-hmm. we we're at the tail end of payments for everybody. So the cash flow was horrible. I bet, and it was very, very, very difficult.
0: So I mean, obviously, it was it was a love, it was a passion project. There were, I mean. This was something that you obviously were sufficiently fired up to do. But at some point, I'm sure the the stress of that cycle weighed heavy on on you personally, because obviously you've got investors involved. You got. yeah, And look, I mean, it's it's a grind, right? I mean, anytime you go from six figures to seven and so on. But what like looking back right now? And you were able to take it to eight figures, which, right. I mean, is a, is a phenomenal f- – I mean, very, very few companies, as you know, get sure, to eight figures. Sure. So what, what would you look back on and then say to a six-figure entrepreneur right now that if they want to take it to seven or eight figures, or let's just even call it eight figures, what, how do you make that jump from six to eight figures? What has to happen? It's market-driven,
2: right? you got to have the customers. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know I could branch off into customer service, all these reasons how you get customers and keep customers. But the bottom line is, you have to increase your demand for the product, Mm -hmm. and uh, that comes back to marketing, the image of your product. Uh, It comes back to pricing, it comes back to availability. Like I'm in you know another business right now that. You know, we've maxed out a supplier in India. We got to go find new manufacturer. I mean, it, the thing's so damn successful. Mm-hmm. So, so there's all these different elements come into play, but the 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 big one is is to um, figure out what market is out there that by tweaking whatever we have, we can now uh, uh, identify with a completely new market because. Mm-hmm. Most businesses will grow ten fifteen percent a year just on you know sure. continuing buying you need to, to, you know to take it up to a new notch you have to get a completely new customer base mm-hmm. or find a new product that all your past customers will will buy into mm-hmm. and so they 're the two things but you know just sitting around the office with a whip isn 't going to make it happen mm-hmm. Richard, were you gonna- I was
1: just going to say, since you like starting the companies, do you think with this new company you're working on, you're going to want to exit at about eight figures again?
2: Yeah, this, this one's... Can I share a little bit about? Yeah, it? sure. Oh, yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I, we haven't even given you a chance. I mean, "The Birth of a Brand" is the name of, of Brian's book here. That's so again, right. if you're for this, is impossible that you'd be joining us on a podcast uh, in the middle here. But if you're just joining us, we're talking to Brian Smith here of UGG. Great. Well, formerly of UGG, anyway. Yeah. I mean, the originator of that. But yeah, please talk about sure. uh, the, the new project for sure. Sure. So.
2: It came through through the book, you know when like I had a bunch of businesses after I sold UG and, and got pretty much wiped out during the recession because I had a fantastic precast concrete wall business, um, but then construction stopped in two thousand and nine, and every contractor just you know bit the dust basically yeah. so um, i I wrote the book called the Birth of a Brand during that downtime, and that it's been so successful it just led me to the stage i never ever wanted to be a public speaker but mm. but now i'm a keynote speaker and and it's really really effective and somebody who was an investor in this new company was at one of my talks and said to the owner you got to meet Brian Smith so we met and as soon as i saw this this shoulder bag it's a, it's called sash s a s h and the the website is thesashbag.com as soon as i saw the product and I touched it. It was lamb leather, like it's lamb skin without any fleece on it. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like golf gloves, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I touched it, and and I, I went, oh my god, she's in chapter five of my book, <laughs> and I knew chapter six, seven, eight, nine, ten are like the worst period of UG, mm-hmm. and so I said I've got to lift her out of that. So I I decided to work with her and, and mentor her, and. Uh, we switched from retail because I, I saw that you know the industry was changing, and she was really a savvy marketer on mm-hmm. social media. So we've switched to a hundred percent on Facebook sales, and she did three million last year mm-hmm. strictly on Facebook. Wow! And, so you, and I see this product being the the fanny pack of
0: the new new generation. Mm-hmm. Sweet. So you're so you're an investor in that. All yeah. the, so the money that you made with UGG. Is that that was all gone? That was all washed up in the recession? Were you? A lot p- of
2: it got wiped out in the recession. Yeah. A lot of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So as
0: you so as you look back now, then on that exit, obviously you parlayed it into this new business. And yes. that's a that's a mistake that I know a lot of entrepreneurs make is par, try, figuring, you know, I'm just going to parlay this into yeah. whatever this next big thing is.
1: Or at least something as different as from a sheep boot to a concrete. Prefabbed yeah. wall, right? Well, there's a story, it's totally there. different. There's a story, <laughs> there. <laughs> vertical a story there. Yeah. I,
2: I, I, I was the son of a contractor, so I was mixing cement when I was 10 years old, so mm-hmm. so there is a connection. But, but the uh, yeah, that uh, the 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 tendency when you make a big hit like I did when you didn't come from money, yeah. You think millions and millions of dollars in the bank is going to last forever. You just don't think you can spend it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the most bizarre. You know, you hear stories about lottery winners. You know, they're broke sure. five years later. It's it's uncanny, but you, you really think that you don't have any money worries anymore. And so uh, I made a lot of investments in, in this new business mm-hmm. where I went past the point of, of a rational, safe Future investment mm-hmm. and and paid for it when the recession hit. Yeah, uh, and it's I've got a buddy um, who wrote a book called "Mistakes Millionaires Make," and every oh, one, one of these stories, you know, is, yeah. is is about a millionaire who who came from nothing, made you know five, ten, twenty million, and, and was broke again five years later because mm-hmm. they just invest in in a whole bunch of new businesses thinking that's never going to run
0: out. Yeah. So was it, was it ever made public in terms of what your exit was for? Was it an eight-figure exit for you? Yeah, it was
2: person? a, it, not personally, but it was an eight-figure exit for the, for the, it, for the there, whole. There were three or four of us in that shared that, yeah. Yeah.
0: Did you hang on to any of it? I mean, because, I, like, I don't know if you I, know. I did. Um, I, I I didn't hang
2: on. Well, I had stock options because mm-hmm. I had a three-year contract. To, to uh, I was the only one with the contract to sort of work out. Yeah. And uh, the um, –
0: there were royalties and stock options for me on both, right? In the new, in the Chiva, in, in the in the new brand, the new well Deckers the, 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 Deckers, the, right? The, yeah. yeah, The, the
2: yeah. three, the three of us who were owners of Argent when we sold it, I ca- I kept on with the contract. The other two were just cashed out. Okay, but th- there was a sort of tag on the end of it to to get royalties for several years. Well, one of the investors on my side, you know wasn't happy with the deal and he was going to threaten to sue and everything so we just made a settlement to to, they bought us out of that package so we cashed out again basically we cashed Mm. out twice Mm -hmm. and but that took away any ability for me to make future royalties yeah but but you know i i was so happy to make that deal anyway it was it was Mm -hmm. fantastic for me i realized i'd hit my peak Mm -hmm. and uh i was sort of burned out that's you know, what it sounds like. 17 years, you know, that's a pretty good stint. It is. And uh, I was ready to, you know, just kick back and look for something else anyway.
0: So what would you tell the the six-figure entrepreneur or the five- or six-figure entrepreneur right, right now in terms of if they want to get to the, the seven, eight, nine-figure level, what what do they need to be thinking about doing?
2: Um, Trying to get out of the business from the busyness standpoint, right? In other words, bring, in, like? bring yeah. in people that can do all the mundane stuff. And, and I'm not saying mundane like, you know, accounting. I'm, I'm saying management stuff that drains you mm-hmm. and where you should be out there meeting new people, looking for new um, mm-hmm. niches, looking for new avenues even. Uh, and if you're, if you're the one doing everything, you're going to have a really slow growth. Mm-hmm. You've got and – you, and you can't bring in somebody to make it bigger – because you're the guy who has to do it so you have to bring in people under you that can get rid of a lot of the tasks that are keeping you too busy yeah uh, so that you get a chance to go back out and play golf meet new people go More go, ideas. go go travel go see you because know, because that's where the inspiration mm-hmm. comes from mm-hmm. it's it's not sitting at a desk thinking harder yeah
0: that mm-hmm.
2: in fact that's the worst thing you could do is to think harder
0: the, the but easy. how do you hire those people? Like, I think that's the biggest struggle that that a lot of entrepreneurs have when they just feel like they can't pay somebody fifty grand when they're barely pulling fifty grand for themselves. It's tough. It's, it's tough. tough. It's tough. So it's a hurdle. So is that when you go out and you find an investor, you try to get somebody to buy into that yeah, vision, you yeah, roll like, them into the into exactly? The vision?
2: I I could never have brought on my first guy without having an investor that you know because I came back from that golf course, you know summer, mm-hmm. absolutely determined to get out of business. And when I got home, it was like the first storm hit the coast in October and it was freezing cold and, and I got home, it had been raining all day on the golf course, I got home and there's probably 30 messages on my answering machine that had been silent all summer, right? Mm. 30 messages from from uh, you know, ski shops and surf retailers and so Oh my god, we need Uggs. Everybody's coming in the door asking for Uggs, you know. Mm-hmm. We'll drive down like from, you know, Hermosa Beach to San Diego, you know. Mm-hmm. We'll drive down now and get them, right? And that's when I realized shit, I can't even get out of business. <laughs> I I mean, I'm going to, you know, have to walk away or else I'm going to find an investor that can bankroll me through next summer and start to put a team together and that was that, that took 5 years mm-hmm. to get to that point where i put a
0: team together do you do you regret cutting off any part of the company at any point i mean it's because obviously to bring in the investors you've got to carve off a piece what what do you say to folks who are thinking yeah no i don't really want to carve out a piece of this thing or the valuation that someone is laying on it is a valuation that is way below what their expectations are
2: okay that's uh It's a matter of standing next to a dumpster and trying to feel how hungry are you to pick up that piece of pizza Mm. in the dumpster, right? Mm -hmm. How hungry are you? Mm -hmm. right? Some people will do it, some people won't. Mm -hmm. Let's bring that back to answer your question. Do I want this company to survive? The only way it will survive is new investors. They want 60%. I don't really want to give up control. I can walk away and let it all fail, or I can take forty percent. Mm-hmm. That's that's the dumpster mm-hmm. yeah. mentality, right? Right, and a hundred
1: percent of nothing yeah, compared to forty yeah. percent of something so, big.
2: So you know, my first deal when I bought that first twenty grand in was fifty fifty. Mm. Then we brought the next guy in. It was we went, we got another guy, and he he took the fifty, and we went to twenty five each. Wow, right? Okay and but in my mind i'm 25% of how big this is going to be when you know i was such an optimist that i, I kept always looking at the brand first mm-hmm. and then um you know that that one uh, we needed to grow and and then those guys the new investors didn't want the old ones in so i had to buy them out so now i'm a percentage of the new company mm-hmm. and uh you know it was it was just well let let me share a story about sure. this cuz I think your listeners will be interested and this is to your point of you know how how when do you eat the pizza right yeah. so these new guys were three guys out of Anaheim uh Neil Paul and Joe and we were all going to own the company 25% each and that was a good deal for me and I made a deal with the other guys that uh, I was getting, you know, I was going to be the sales commission guy for Southern Cal. And so I knew from my commissions and my share of the 25%, I could pay these guys off and make, you know, bring them out whole plus, plus a bonus. Mm -hmm. And they were willing to go along with it because their option was to lose all their money. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, um, we moved all the inventory up to Anaheim in a brand new warehouse and they were going to, it was great, they were going to run all the business side but I was just going to be the sales rep which I loved.
1: Isn't that funny because in the very beginning of this interview, I don't want to be a salesperson. I'm a CPA minded person. Yeah,
2: yeah, and and it was a huge, you know, trip. So so I um, finished up, setting up the warehouse over the weekend and, and I was now in Anaheim so I went down to Beach Boulevard to Huntington Beach and I called in on my retailer there Huntington Surf and Sport and I walked in the door and he says hey Brian I heard you sold the business I went what mm. and he says yeah I called an order in this morning and they said you don't own it anymore I said you're kidding me they said that mm. and I couldn't wait to get out to the you know the Shell gas station next mm-hmm. door because this was before the cell-, pay phones. cell phones <laughs> yeah. yeah and I called up Anaheim I said Neil what the hell are you telling people and he says what are you talking about I said you're telling people I don't own the company and he says well, you don't. You don't get your stock until you finish that little lawsuit, you know. It was just a proviso in the, in the contract. Mm-hmm. But I, I knew I was going to win that, con- you know, that, lawsuit that lawsuit anyway, it, yeah. so I, I, I never even thought of it that way. And, and, he, and, and I realized, you know, I just went into this depression. Oh, I'm sure. I went back to San Diego and, and I pulled the contract out and I read it and I read it and I said, yeah, you don't get my stock issued until I finish the trademark law. Mm. And I went, shit, I don't own the company. Mm -hmm. And I went into this huge depression. Like for three or four days, I just moped about. And I can recall one night just lying on my back on the floor of the living room and my wife was on the couch and, you know, the TV show finished. I clicked it off and I rolled over on my stomach and got up on my hands and knees and I started crawling to the bedroom. And Laura, who's a really quiet person, she just looked at me and said, you get up now and walk to bed like a man, mm. and she scared the shit out of me, <laughs> you know. And I, and I sort of, as I got up off the floor, it was like coming out of a fog, mm. and it was like, oh my god, there's so much more yeah. than this crappy little sheepskin business, you know. Right.
1: And sounds like you should have hired her too. Yeah, right? really. Yeah, right? she,
2: she was always right. She always knew every every good or bad partner, you know. Mm. But anyway, the next day I'm meditating, thinking, okay, what am I going to do? You know, I don't own the company. Will I? Be a real estate agent, no, business broken, maybe, you know, salesman. Then I got goosebumps. So, shit, I love sales now, you know, because mm-hmm. i now I wasn't trying to take from anybody, I was giving.
1: Well, yeah. every story that you told us to, it sounded like your big aha moments came during the sales process. Yeah, right?
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. So, So I just went back to Anaheim and I told the guys, look, I may never own this company, but I'm going to. You know, make sure I can get everybody in America wearing a pair of UGG boots. And I went out on the road and got back after the first month. And Neil handed me an envelope, and I opened up—it's a check for five grand. And he says, "That's your commissions," and that was the first money I ever pulled out of UGG. Really? Right? Wow. Six years. And the next month, check for ten grand. The next month, another check for ten grand. And and so that led me to this whole theory, which is in the book, which is nearly always your most disappointing disappointments. Mm. Will become your greatest blessings.
0: God, from your mouth to God's mm. ears. I hope that's true, right? It, it, it is.
2: It's infallible, you know. And, and I, I, when I'm on the stage, I ask people, put your hand up if if you can think of something happened in the last 12 months, which at the time you thought was a disaster, uh-huh. is now the best. <laughs> is now the best thing that ever happened. Oh,
0: you didn't finish the question. Yeah, I already raised my hand. Yeah. Right? Well. Yeah.
2: And so everybody, everybody goes through that.
1: Yeah.
0: All right, mm. look, we're gonna uh, we're gonna have to let you jump here, man. I know you're uh, okay. a man in demand. Okay, we want you to that, stay, well, but you well, said you needed
1: to get well, going. And, so. I, I,
0: and, and we <laughs> want to grab a picture with you, of course, before well, you go okay. here. Because how a... often do we get to sit down with Brian Smith of uh, you know Australia and yeah. the, the originator of such a, such a really I mean just an incredible brand and, and the story. Uh, that you've shared here, the numerous stories that you've shared yeah. here, I uh, just and, so appreciate. And, and
2: they're just a sample of stuff that's in the book. It's called "The so Birth the name, of yeah, a Brand."
0: Please, please, now perfect time. Please yeah, do. Yes, the, "The
2: Birth of a Brand," and it's available on Amazon. And uh, I'm reissuing, reissuing it later this year because, believe it or not, this is the 40th anniversary of UGG. Is
0: it really this year? Nobody
2: knows that. but
0: yeah well it's uh it's awesome having you here and uh and you're local to the uh to the san diego area been 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 here 40 years you've been here for 40 never lost the accent i know uh, it's crazy yeah but it's (laughs) uh don't lose it right but it's uh it's an incredible story uh it's and really when you talk about you know there's very few brands especially in the shoe space i mean you've got what maybe 10 brands in the shoe right and so to have one of those brands I mean that's got to make you feel pretty good about what you've been able to accomplish. Yeah, yeah. So congrats uh, on all, thanks so on much. all that, and of course uh, we wish you well on your new ventures. And thanks for sharing your wisdom around what it really does take to start, and to scale, uh, and to exit. Because uh, you know there's there's so many folks out there who really want to get to that next okay. level and just don't don't really understand can, how to do I it. Can I
2: leave you with my most favorite, in twenty
0: seconds, please do my most favorite piece of
2: philosophy from the book, please. 20 seconds. Okay. The (laughs) the quickest way for a tadpole to become a frog Mm. is live every day happily as a tadpole. Mm. And that's probably the most powerful thing in my book. It sounds really flippant up front, but if you can just live day to day trying to be better and better, you're going to look back one day and go, shit, I'm a frog. I'm a frog. All right. Well, Brian Smith, thank you so much for being
0: here, and we will talk to you guys next time. You've been listening to Beyond Eight Figures. Share your thoughts on today's episode and what you'll apply to your business by emailing us at feedback at And if you haven't already done so, we'd greatly appreciate it if you took a moment now to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Until next time, keep scaling.